Uh, so uh, we're here in this uh, lovely retreat space, um, which uh, we're co-creating at this moment. And so thank you all very much for making this happen. Um, so we haven't been doing this very long, so uh, maybe, you know, um, uh, people aren't feeling too pinched yet. <laughs> Is anybody feeling pinched? No, too soon? Okay. Well, I guess, is this day one? I guess it's day one. I, I've been here a couple of days, so I'm, I'm already losing track. But um, uh, So we might get a little pinched, you know, as, as the days go by. Uh, uh, in, uh, in Japan... Um, where, where I spent just a little time, um, it's, it's very pinchy there in the practice environments. Here it's not so much. You know, we aren't uh, particularly sitting like super long periods or a whole lot of them. Um, um, we aren't uh, sitting late at night, although you can if you want. I don't particularly recommend it, but you can. Um, still, uh, we're probably outside our, um, you know, our, our habitual paths a little bit, which is both uh, freeing and, and also um, causes some discomfort. Um, I'm, uh, I'm an avid reader. Um, it's my favorite form of entertainment. So... Uh, uh, and, and during retreat, usually you don't read so much. So I'm constantly catching myself reaching for something. Oh, no, don't, don't do that. Maybe I'll just check my email. I kind of have to do some of that because I have a temple back home I have to stay in touch with. But ordinarily, frisking around on the Internet is like, oh, you wouldn't really do that during retreat. So I can, always, I can already feel some little you know, um, avenues of escape being closed off. And... Uh, as a result, uh, the uh, confrontation with um, the paradox of the self is, uh, becomes sharper. And of course, that's the point. Um, our, uh, our practice, uh, or one way to talk about it anyway, is to study the self. And it's helpful um, uh, in order to do that to uh, bring the self to the foreground. And if we... Uh, 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 look at our our lives. Uh, sometimes uh, some of our teachers ad- advise us that um, uh, one of the uh, ways that that most strongly happens is if, if there's something a little adverse going on. Um, you may know the exercise that um, uh, to we're asked to uh, reflect on uh, an occasion where we were uh, um, wrongly accused of something. And notice what happened then. This, this, this uh, cloud of objection comes up and, and defensiveness. It's like, how dare you accuse me wrongly of whatever it was. And other circumstances where the self comes to the fore. Recently, I uh, broke my wrist and um, uh, had the occasion to marvel at how um, suddenly uh, uh, besieged and vulnerable, the feeling was. Uh, and uh, there I was, um, all set to 
comfortably ride the um, the metro train back into San Francisco, and next thing I knew, I was in the hospital. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> that was quite uh, was quite startling. It was also quite exciting to notice that, as our teachers have said, you can actually practice anywhere, anytime. So that was very encouraging, and um, um, maybe some of you have had that experience also. I don't know what uh, particular uh, issues or questions um, any of you brought to retreat, um, but this is a perfect time to look at stuff. Um, I don't. I haven't met any of you before. I don't think. So, uh, in a sense, we have this wide open field. Where um, now some of you folks know each other, so you may have some baggage, but I don't have much because I haven't met any of you. So. Um, I have the uh, I have the easy part in that sense. Um, uh, my Dharma sister Maya Wender uh, thought that uh, for this retreat uh, you might uh, uh, talk about the ten ox herding pictures. Is that, is that right? Um, so I think that was what was in the uh, pamphlet or, or uh, on the website. So we're going to talk about we're going to have a retreat about the ten ox herding pictures. So. Um, uh, I brought that along, um, and uh, did, did you get the little uh, sheet of poems to look at? If uh, if some of you didn't and, and, and you'd like one, let me know because I have some more copies. Um, these are the uh, poems that uh, uh, were uh, written to accompany uh, the Oxfording pictures in the uh, Song Dynasty by... Um, uh, uh, Kuan Shiyuan, um, about whom I don't think very much is known. So, um, have any of you? Probably some of you have seen those pictures. Have you seen the oxiding pictures? Um, a- anybody know the sequence? I thought it might be nice to to be familiar enough with the sequence to to memorize it. anybody Anybody know what those are? Yes. Right. That's number one, the ox herd um, of indeterminate gender in the paintings, and you can't really tell, so it could be male or female, is the searching everywhere for the ox. Um, and and, and uh, do, you know, do you know the rest? I'm just curious. Number two is... Number two, he sees the tracks. That's right. Number two is uh, seeing the footprints. Right? And number three... Right, he glimpses the ox. Right, yes, he sees something, you know, a horn sticking out or something like that. And number four, then, would be... Hmm? Well, he catches it. That's right, he, he finally catches up with the ox. And number five is taming. And uh, then number six, you know number six? Riding the ox home. Mm-hmm. And seven is, uh, let me know number seven. Seven is, uh, he's actually. He doesn't, he, doesn't he's, need, he doesn't need to. Seven is, well, seven is, uh, is right, seven is uh, home uh, and uh, ox kind of forgotten. Okay. And then uh, eight. Yes. Self and ox, both forgotten. Right? 
And nine, then. Nine is... Uh, uh, that's ten. So nine is returning to the source. And ten is entering the marketplace. So this is a, a little sketch of, um, I don't know, practice life. Last night I was thinking, it might be fun just to go through them backwards instead. I mean, everybody goes through them forwards, so we might go through them backwards and start with um, the marketplace. Um, because kind of, that's where we start anyway. Uh, one and ten kind of touch each other because one and ten are both um, uh, self and world although there's a little difference there. Number one, self is kind of over against world. And somehow, number 10, self and world are not two anymore. And there's no struggle. So you could actually, it's actually more like a a circle instead of a line, uh, although it's often presented as a line. Um, One of the uh, classic presentations is... uh, this is sort of a map of the, um, you know, the uh, heroic effort to, um, well, achieve liberation. Uh, so you, it starts off kind of hopeless, and then there's some encounter, and then there's some kind of wrestling match, and then there's some kind of success. And next thing you know, you're back in the marketplace. But this, uh, you know... I don't know if that's anybody's actual experience. I think this is uh, another, yet another of the many, many, many spiritual metaphors. And um, uh, one interesting point is that um, in our uh, the tradition, or the tradition I'm most familiar with, um, uh, you know, we don't um, uh, focus on you know, it's not like a bullfight. <laughs> you finally wind up triumphing over this this creature that that has such a will of its own, and and then you're successful. And uh, then maybe some somebody comes along and congratulates you on your success. That's kind of not our tradition, and it's not that uh, phenomena like that don't express themselves. But we don't, um, as Sukhirashi so uh, wisely said. And that's not what needs to be stressed. So, um, uh, you know, so we don't particularly come to retreat or sashin uh, expecting that we are we are going to uh, find and and wrestle the ox to the ground and then <coughs> have some triumph and be rewarded and congratulated. This is not kind of, that's not really our style. It's not, not as I understand it. So I don't know if um, uh, some of you were expecting that, if, if some of you were, were thinking that you would, uh, um, you know, catch up with the ox this time, and um, that would be ever so much fun. But uh, if so, you're welcome to say so. And um, uh, then I, I don't know how the rest of the retreat will be for you. Maybe it'll be like really boring. If we're not focusing on finding that that animal and and uh, bending it to our will, you know? so anyway, I hope you won't be uh, disappointed. Um, our uh, practice is known as just sitting, right? 
And um, uh, this, uh, this practice of just sitting has all of these ten features rolled into one without any particular um, uh, sense that one has to go from number one through number ten. Uh, for instance, uh, in just sitting, I think there's no question that we are returning to the source over and over again. Right? Um, when we get up from our meditation, we are stepping into the marketplace over and over again. Um, uh, so we're not uh, spending our time uh, waiting around for, you know, um, the definitive experience, as I used to think of it. Finally, my teacher said one day, I think you should drop that. <laughs> oh, okay. And it was, uh, it was like putting a burden down. And from the perspective of later practice, I began to realize that that was really, I was mistaken. That it is not about seeking a definitive experience. It is about the definitiveness of experience, period. And this is a different orientation, a different approach. And uh, this is what we study when we are sitting in stillness and silence. Um in the midst of our discomfort or impatience or uh, agitation or fear, whatever it is, the, uh, the structure of our uh, practice or the container of our retreat allows us to experience that stuff uh, non-reactively and in a way that illuminates both our karmic life and the life beyond Uh, just karmic consciousness. Right. So, what do you think so far? P- please uh, comment or. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you said, um, I think, last evening you were a bit surprised that the ox herding. Yes. Yeah, it's usually the other gang that gets into the oxfording pictures, yeah. right? Right. Do you, do you feel that it, it's more suited to? Well, um, and this idea that Suzuki, I think, talked about once about having a large field to. Right. To That's how you get your cow to behave: is give it a yeah. big old field. Right. Exactly. Um, um, I guess traditionally the oxerting pictures have lent themselves to this um, slightly more, shall we say, goal-oriented approach. Um, just to, to uh, recap, you know, um, uh, this is, when I say this, I mean I uh, grew up in the Zen tradition. And uh, like every other uh, uh, tradition, um, Zen has a way it kind of sees and understands and talks about itself. So one of the ways that that's um, expressed is um, uh, uh, in the words of the legendary Bodhidharma. Um, He described the tradition as uh, having four aspects. Are you familiar with that? 
Um, one is uh, the Japanese is Kyoge uh, Betsuden, which is uh, a particular or special transmission that is outside sutra. And um, then uh, also furyu monji, which means uh, uh, not relying on words and phrases. And um, then jikishi uh, ninjin, which is um, direct pointing to the human heart, human mind, spirit, heart. And then the, the last one is, is uh, the, the kicker. Kinjo Jobutsu, uh, seeing nature becoming Buddha. So some uh, streams in the tradition put tremendous emphasis on Kinjo Jobutsu as a um, a kind of uh, a particularly desirable psychological experience, and this is where we kind of part company a little bit. Uh, my teacher once said, Dogen, our, our uh, illustrious uh, importer of uh, uh, Chan from China to, to Japan, or this particular stream, anyway, um, doesn't use that word much. And uh, my teacher said, well, that's because that wasn't such a big deal for him. He'd actually had billions of these. Each Moment is a kind of seeing nature, seeing actual nature. There isn't some moment where it's not there, and then some other nifty moment when it is, where you get to say, oh, cool, now I got it. This is kind of a mistaken approach. Um, and um, uh, uh, one that is, is not really valued in this tradition, the tradition that I grew up in. Still, um, uh, we don't say that there's no such thing. We don't say that part of our practice is not seeing nature becoming Buddha. But we say that is uh, a matter of course. That is a a matter of, uh, as Dogen said, everydayness. This is how practice goes forward. Not by some uh, spectacular and exciting leaps and bounds, but by everydayness. So it's uh, it's good to uh, you know to uh, understand the context of the effort that we're making in terms of some uh, dharma lineage or inheritance or tradition. So in this in this kind of Zen world, um, uh, uh, we use these sorts of terms. So I don't know if uh, some of you will have you know definitive experiences during our retreat. If so, fine. Um, but the focus will be more on how our experience is definitive, how our experience is at once uh, extremely particular and individual and also transcendent. And these are all aspects of uh, human life, human mind, and spirit that are reflected in and kind of m- metaphorized in these um, oxidating pictures. Now, I wish we had um, uh, a, a nice big collection of paintings to go with them, but um, I didn't, uh, uh, this kind of breaking my wrist kind of interrupted my uh, momentum, and I didn't get uh, a hold of uh, uh, any to bring with me. Uh, 
And even if I did, it would have been difficult to uh, reproduce them. But there are many uh, around. Some of them are really quite beautiful. Um, uh, there's a, a very limited set in, in the, uh, the uh, ever-famous book, Three Pillars of Zen. That's, I think, where I first saw them. But there's some other uh, renditions of uh, the paintings that are really quite, quite striking. Uh, the, uh, the gang at um, Mount Trampers and Mountain Monastery in New York State, uh, their bookstore sells a particularly nice set. Uh, so if some of you want to uh, acquire that, um, um, that's a very, very beautiful set of paintings. Um, meanwhile, we have these little poems that we can reflect on. Um, and I, uh, I used to have a very, uh, uh, very uh, 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 sponge-like memory, uh, but that seems to have faded with the years. I used to be able to, like, I could read this once and it would be memorized, but that's when I was like 20, and that doesn't work anymore. So now I have to bring them with me. Uh, so I think some of you have them, right? And um, uh, uh, even though we don't uh, spend much time reading or, or uh, you know, um, uh, discursively contemplating stuff during retreat, I, I would uh, suggest that um, uh, it might be nice to be familiar with these little poems and kind of keep them close by us as as we spend time in retreat and see what comes up you know as you uh, reflect uh, on on the the uh, poems and see if um, um, there are echoes in your own experience uh, for instance uh, uh, searching number one right is the little ox herd boy or girl wandering aimlessly around or seemingly aimlessly around and uh, he or she says, in the pasture of this world, ceaselessly I push aside the tall grasses, searching for the ox, following nameless rivers, lost on the crisscross paths of distant mountains, my strength failing, vitality exhausted, I cannot find him. All I hear is crickets singing in the evening woods. So, um, if you're into Zen, I wonder, what do you think about that? Because there's kind of a, there's a little trick in here. Even though this is number one, like I said, it touches number ten. So, so if you hear a phrase like, all I hear is crickets singing in the evening woods, what do you think? It's like, Wait a minute, you can't see the ox? You hear the crickets in the evening woods and you can't see the ox? Well, that's sad. So maybe there's something wrong with your searching. It's not that the uh, ox is escaping your grasp. It's the grasping that's the issue. Okay. Yes? I was thinking was the uh, line that maybe he was finding the crickets annoying like... Like the crows? Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, yes. Hey, shut up, would you? Crickets? <laughs> yes, yes. yes. I sometimes, uh, we have uh, like, uh, you know, three or four crows that sometimes visit our backyard uh, once in a while. And you guys seem to have like about a thousand of them that are there all the time. And uh, when they show up, I usually go out on the back porch and say, go away, you guys, you're bugging me. So, so now I have a chance to uh, soak in that sort of uh, impatient reaction. And to realize that uh, maybe um, in the 
ceaseless cawing of the crows, maybe that's the, the crickets singing in the evening woods. And of course it is. It must be. Yes. Are there rooks? They're not crows. Ah, okay. All right. Thank you. Are they related? Yeah, they're same same family. Oh, okay. I think the ones we have are crows. They're huge, and they're very aggressive. But there's only two or three of them. So 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 rooks. Okay. Ah, all right. So uh, so we have a, a rookery somewhere around here. Okay. Um, uh, um, nonetheless, uh, our oxherd is in the pasture of the world. Okay. So so the place of searching is precisely this world that we live in. Right? So the whole world is the pasture. Right? And the, uh, the little oxherd is, is uh, pushing aside the grasses, you know, uh, the, uh, the potentially obscuring um, phenomena of our life. Um, you may recall that um, um, our, uh, one of our, uh, our lineage's great founders, Dongshan Yangjie, uh, went to see um, uh, the, the great and famous uh, Guishan Lingyo, who told, who told him uh, that uh, he should go uh, to such and such a region of China and uh, look for this character, Yunyan. And he told him, if you can push aside the grasses and face into the wind, you will find him a worthy fellow. So there's this, uh, this uh, notion of pushing aside the grasses, meaning um, uh, not to be fixated or enchanted or or glamoured by the surface of things, right? which is constantly pulling us one way or another in the, um, this restless unfolding of cause and effect. Right? So to push aside the grasses, uh, we could say, means to um, just be still for a while right? and to look carefully and clearly without the, uh, uh, the uh, being hypnotized by the light on the water. And that way we can also see beneath the surface the the uh, ocean has surface and depth, and if we're too glamoured by the uh, light on the water, then our perception tends to be biased and uh, uh, not so helpful. So here's the the poor uh, Oxford is he says following or she says following nameless rivers, lost and crisscross paths of distant mountains, and I think. Uh, you know, probably all of us have had that experience, uh, um, uh, particularly um, uh, at certain times in our lives. The um, the true path seems to be completely invisible and impossible to reach. I've certainly had that experience. Um, uh, it's it's uh, uniquely and poignantly human, and so is the experience of, of kind of feeling like one has just been trudging forever and ever and ever and one is just about to drop with exhaustion. Um, in fact, this uh, metaphor is taken so seriously in certain uh, schools of thought that they actually try to make that happen. So there's this stuff about people needing to 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 stay up all night long sitting and... Um, uh, particularly in the style known as kanwa uh, chan uh, or kanazen, where you're focusing on a, um, a so-called turning word or phrase, such as the famous mu, 
you, you, you're actually, the idea is to really exhaust yourself, first with the, your crude effort, and then um, uh, eventually, uh, as you continue to practice, your effort becomes more and more refined. And you notice how before, your effort was so crude and muscular that you were just wearing yourself out, as our little Oxford is um, uh, uh, traveling far, far distances to find something that's right nearby. So uh, even even during our retreat, we may find ourselves f- feeling like my strength is failing, my vitality is exhausted, and um, if so, um, um, I would say um, uh, make sure you're not mistreating yourself. Right? This is a sometimes a temptation, uh, even in uh, the practice of the Buddha way, which should have nothing to do with mistreating ourselves or others, sometimes that can happen as a kind of a reflection very often of our, our karmic life, you know, our, our past and uh, um, family life and so forth. We can find ourselves uh, kind of punishing ourselves by the way we're practicing. And this is um, certainly nothing that Buddha ever suggested we do, as far as I understand it did not want us to punish ourselves. Um, so if you, if you notice that you, you're having the thought that your strength is failing and your vitality is exhausted, uh, check into your effort and see if your, you know, your jaw muscles are really tight and you're uh, uh, on some level banging your head against a wall. Okay? This is not suggested. It's not by us. Some people may suggest that. Um, some places, the idea is to really crank up the tension as high as possible. And, um, well, I guess that's one way to do it, but uh, to me that seems like injurious to people. And, in fact, it is sometimes literally injurious to people. Uh, I recently read a, um, a book by another Zen Center person. I don't know if some of you know, uh, <coughs> been to Green Gulch or, or Tassahara, some of you know Jiryu, Mark R.B., who has spent um, about a year and a half in Japan and wrote uh, quite an entertaining memoir of his time there. And, uh, you know, some of it was pretty grim. Uh, the, the place, uh, uh, quite well-known uh, monastery in uh, uh, northwest uh, Japan, uh, you know, it just there were like a couple of people who kind of went bonkers and had to be hospitalized and other people who... I guess didn't go bonkers, but kind of slipped out of the monastery in the night because he couldn't stand it anymore. And I just, I just don't see how that is really helpful to people. And I also know some other folks, uh, one person in particular, <clears throat> who um, was kind of following that path for years and uh, feels that he has never achieved um, whatever it was he was supposed to achieve. And this was a kind of a uh, bitter disappointment um, so again, bitter disappointment as a result of Buddha Dharma. Now that doesn't make sense. Something's wrong there. So I'm not uh, telling you guys uh, that you sh- you're not allowed to do that. If you want to practice that way, that's okay. I'm just saying I don't have much to offer on that front. I did a little bit of practice in that vein uh, because the second uh, abbot of the Zen Center had spent, uh, I think, unfortunately. A certain amount of time in uh, Japan practicing with the other gang. And when he came back to the States, 
he brought that with him. And it, uh, my impression now, looking back, is that that really muddied the water uh, for years, confused people about uh, our practice. And I think if Suzuki Roshi had not died, he would have said, what the hell are you doing? Don't bring that stuff in here. And I've seen a lot of people at Zen Center who kind of try to mix the two, and it just seems to generate confusion. So I'm just putting my cards on the table, and it's quite all right if some of you think, well, this guy's a bozo, I'm leaving, that's all right. But I figure <laughs> I figure I should uh, be straightforward with you, and vice versa, and just uh, let you know where I'm coming from. So I'm, uh, I'm kind of losing track here. What uh, time am I supposed to shut up? Does anybody know? Is there a schedule nearby? What does, uh, what does our schedule say? Our schedule Sorry, schedule. Sorry. 11.15 sitting. 11.15 sitting. Well, it's almost 11, and uh, we should have a little time for a lively discussion and question and answer if there are any questions or answers. Um, so uh, I think I'll stop now. Besides, I've got to figure out how to get seven talks out of ten poems, which you'd think would be easy, but it's not necessarily, because my inclination is often just to be quiet, just to be silent. But I've found that uh, uh, people often feel like they're not getting their money's worth if I just sit there and shut up. So, um, But for now, please, uh, if you have some question or, or comment, please. Yes, Wendy. Um, it, it is difficult to sit still. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, there is um, a skillful way of approaching it, mm-hmm. um, which uh, relies on on some encouragement yes. in, in the beginning. Uh, encouraging one somehow to be with the difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, it's very useful if one's in a community or with Quite. a teacher. Yes. That helps enormously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, also, <coughs> difficulty doesn't necessarily go away. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so one sort of needs to keep up in the ante. I mean, by that, um, having more and more of these situations which support one mm-hmm. in Mm-hmm. Uh, by and by, though, uh, uh, the more one um, enters these forms of practice, the more they are discovered to be internalized. And then the external uh, supports become less important. And then, for example, one may find, if one breaks one's wrist, that practice is right there, uh, which is tremendously encouraging. To, to know that even if all the walls fall down, 
practice is right where it always was, right here. However, it's a little hard to notice that if one hasn't done what you're describing, namely been still in the midst of um, the karmic backwash that happens when we don't move with those karmic impulses all the time. If you just be still, it's like uh, the, the metaphor that often occurs to me is it is like you're kind of wading in the stream and or floating, floating along and then you decide you're going to turn upstream and just face the water and it's splashing into your face and into your nose and so forth because that's karmic life. And without that, um, uh, one, it's very difficult for one to notice and appreciate one's own profound stability without having made that effort. And uh, this, this uh, approach to effort is a critical factor in practice. And um, uh, one of the, you might say, the advantages of the approach that so emphasizes the muscularity of it all is you do exhaust yourself and you see that that's actually not what's necessary. Um, we approach it a little bit differently by not necessarily encouraging deliberate exhaustion, although it can happen. Um, so um, uh, this whole uh, radical gesture of being still in the midst of our karmic life does cause this kickback. And that's exactly our place of study. And our we make a little laboratory out of it by... Um, you know, uh, dressing up funny and um, uh, uh, chanting in odd languages and, and uh, saddling ourselves with uh, ritual um, as a way to uh, enclose that effort, uh, a container for that effort. Um, uh, and uh, over time, as, as we do that, as I say, uh, the degree to which it is internalized becomes obvious. So you're, you're quite right in your characterization, and um, uh, it's for mo- many of us indispensable, as is a certain amount of encouragement, because it's quite easy to get, you know, kind of bummed out, especially, you know, I don't know, I, I uh, another Dharma sister of mine said, um, you know, she was she practiced in Japan a bit too, and she said, um, you know, after Sashin, you know, the Roshi would come out and say, "Well, nobody got Kensho," and it's sort of like that was kind of a bummer. You know, <laughs> I mean, he just went through this, you know, I guess rather challenging retreat, and only to be told that, ah, you know, y'all missed. It's like, is that really helpful? I, I don't know, maybe, but I, that doesn't doesn't quite, you know, I try to hear. Buddha's voice in that, and I kind of don't myself. Now, this is maybe some failing on my part, but um, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Doesn't sound very compassionate. Well, it doesn't, you know. And in Zen, there's this thing about you know so-called great compassion, which is uh, very interesting in that you can't really tell what it is outside of the particular circumstances uh, of of any given situation. In other words. Um, you can't really say, well, it's this or it's that. It's the response that comes up according to circumstance. And, of course, the um, the indispensable prior element is realizing that compassion means allowing ourselves, our body-minds, to resonate with the sufferings of other beings 
first and foremost. That's literally what the word means, really to suffer with. And uh, it's very tempting uh, and sometimes maybe even necessary to kind of wall off some of the misery that's around us. Um, uh, Particularly if we're dealing with a lot of our own, you go out in the world and you just see this suffering that is in every face, you know, uh, it can be quite a lot. However, the the beginning of compassion is to allow our body-minds to feel that suffering. And then the response is, well, we don't know. depends on circumstances. Hopefully it will be skillful. Maybe sometimes it isn't. But that first part to, uh, to notice the, the omnipresence of dukkha, as Buddha taught, is really important. And not just intellectually. You actually feel it in your body. Now it's after 11, and I'm doing most of the talking. So, again, any more? Please, comment. Yes. Yes. Yes, that was interesting. Yes, <laughs> we had a lot of fun this morning. Those of you who weren't here, it's quite entertaining to realize we weren't all quite on the same page. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was okay as it was. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Yes. Yes. Seems to me that it feels like there's a kind of paradox in that there's effort and energy required, mm-hmm. but that trying to get something out, being having some aim, purpose, mm-hmm. goal or anything, is counterproductive. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's you know that's that's just the the precise paradox of Buddha and sentient being, how how both are represented in this body mind. Um, uh, the 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 trick of it's not a trick the um, art of effort is. As uh, Sukhiroshi often said, is that it needs to be pure effort. That's the aspect that is so crucial. In other words, it's effort aimed at nothing. And that is, uh, it's like, well, what is that even? Well, actually, you can't really tell someone else what it is. You can say, you can you can, uh, you can um, recite that little poetic snippet, you know, to make great pure effort. But each person has to find out what that means. Each person has to discover in his or her own body-mind how you, uh, as, as Dogen would say, you muster the body-mind completely without aiming at anything. Right? Total presence, which is inherent in our being, without trying to get some return. That's the art, if you like. And that encompasses, reflects, and even utilizes the paradox. I find I flip a lot between sort of going too far one way or the other. Yes. Right. 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 
right, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what happens to people uh, over time is that the effort gets more and more refined, and this this notion of what pure effort. Mm, I almost said feels like, but it's not really a feeling. It's more like more and more stuff falls away. More and more extraneous baggage falls away. And the, uh, the uh, power, the, the uh, ungraspability and power of just sitting becomes more and more obvious. And you could say, what's well, kind of like, maybe that's kind of like glimpsing the ox. You, know? you actually see the horns sticking up somewhere. Finally, you always know where the beast is. You always know where the ox is. It says somewhere in here, sometimes it charges up into the mountains above the mist. Other times it's lurking in a deep, rugged valley. But at some point, you always know where the ox is. And again, it's not a kind of knowing like, where did I park my car kind of a knowing. It's another kind. <laughs> There's somebody? Yes. Um, yes, I, I notice with these ox herding pictures um, that uh, both the, the ox and the ox herder are, are wandering around in this wonderful natural landscape mm-hmm. with the trees and ravines and mountains. Crickets and, and yes. rivers right. and crickets mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and also reading a little bit about Dogen and some of the great masters in the past. Mm-hmm. <coughs> practicing amidst in wild places in nature mm-hmm. and I, I wonder whether I mean that feels right for me that, that somehow it could be easier practicing in wild nature you, you, you know some, somehow nature leeches into you uh, and yeah, it makes it maybe a, a little easier. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, uh, Suzuki, she said, uh, nature is the true teacher of Zen. And um, uh, I think often for uh, practitioners, um, being out in nature has that aspect to it. Um, uh, a way in which the uh, simplicity of mind uh, is, is, is demonstrated and encouraged just by being out in nature. Um, on the other hand, we don't want to find ourselves only able or thinking that we're only able to practice out in nature. So I, I live in San Francisco, which is really not nature at all. And uh, I wouldn't normally choose to live in an, an urban environment like that, but that's, those are the folks who asked me to practice with them. So that's where I live. And it's great to find that one can practice there. On the other hand, the openness and depth and simplicity of nature is extremely encouraging. And that's why so much of that, that uh, imagery appears in Zen. Because uh, uh, practitioners for millennia have noticed that. So I think that, that's quite true. And of course, Dogen went off to the wilds of uh, northwest Japan to practice, partly because he was kind of run out of town by the establishment um, who didn't want him around. Uh, and his uh, patron, uh, Lord Hatano, gave him a tract of land up there in Ichizen, you know, where they have terrible winters, snow, freezing cold. Um, but he was, a, you know, he was a, Dogen was a great poet of nature, as you probably know. A lot of his poetry reflects um, 
uh, both a love of nature but also an appreciation, ironically, of life in the capital. He apparently got a kick out of Kyoto, uh, being a, a, a child of the aristocracy and very, very cultivated, very refined, um, expert in Chinese, at least, at least, at least Chinese literature. Um, uh, but uh, his, I think his great love also was the natural world, which seems to be ever shrinking, you know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, maybe we should do something else now, unless there are maybe one more question. Or... No? Okay, so we can... Uh, what's next, walking or...? Are we going to do that now? Um, uh, uh, whatever you like. We're going to practice our little obsessive eating ritual, which um, um, probably we should do if we're going to... Oh, we're going to have lunch that way today, aren't we? So we better do that. So... Uh, we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go to the. We're gonna go to the lounge, and uh, so get, get get your bowls. Yes, did you want? No, get your bowls, and and we'll meet in the lounge, and we'll try to do this orioki thing, which should be even more fun than morning service. So, okay. Are we not doing morning service? Hmm? Are we not doing morning service? Uh, morning service, or or do you mean noon service? Uh, noon service. Noon service. Well, um, I think we are. We'll come back and do noon service. Uh, and could you tell me the time of noon service? Because I want it to be 10 minutes. Oh, yes. Let's ask the Eno. Well, it kind of depends on... Well, let's see. We have to be ready for lunch at 12.30. So we probably ought to be back here in about an hour, like uh, 12.15 or something, 12.20. We should be back here to do service. Okay. So I'd like to leave there 10 minutes early. Uh, 20, 20 past is probably okay, or 15, 15 after. Okay. Yeah? Okay. So, so the closing chant that we do is, yeah. May our intention? Yeah. May our intention equally extend to every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's ways unsurpassable. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.